0: Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps, the weekly podcast exploring the business of storytelling where I interview many of the world's greatest marketers and storytellers to share their insights and ideas of how to put emotion into marketing. Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps, I'm your host Brian Adams and this week I had the chance to talk to storyteller scientist 10 filmmaker Randy Olson. Randy started out with a PhD in biology from Harvard but then moved on to film school followed his dream and quickly over the years has become an expert on the use of narrative using a universal structure we can all start putting into action immediately following this episode. He's also the author of a number of books, including Houston, We Have a Narrative, Why Science Needs Story. Now, as many of you regular listeners will already know, taking inspiration from modern day storytelling can help get your content heard over the noise. And Randy uses a structure of narrative called the ABT Framework. Randy is so passionate about this structure. It was fascinating hearing him talk about it in such great depth. I really think this will change the way you tell your story and your brand forever. So, now, if you've never heard about the ABT structure, sit back, relax, take it all in, and become a better storyteller in just 30 minutes. It's that powerful. I'd love some feedback on this episode, actually, because... When you listen to Randy explain the A-B-T framework, it sounds so simple that it can't possibly make such a difference, but I really think it will do. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. So, I'm sat in the living room of Randy Olson, a very interesting storyteller, author of three books, started life as a scientist and has now segued into teaching storytelling. Hello, Randy. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Randy, let's start by, um, can I ask you to explain your uh, really interesting career path to uh, to what brings you to where you are now as a a teacher of storytelling?
1: All right, we're gonna start by planting where we're headed to, which is the ABT, because that's part of why, it, it is an interesting pathway I've had, and it's interesting because it matches narrative structure, it matches an ABT. Uh, the simple one-sentence story of what happened to me was I was a professor of marine biology and I succeeded in achieving tenure at the University of New Hampshire, but I realized I had a bigger interest in broad communication of science and information in general. Therefore, I ended up resigning my tenured professorship, moving to Los Angeles, going to film school at the University of Southern California, and been here for 20 years now, deeply enmeshed in the world of communication. So that is the and, but therefore
0: structured Sentence for my narrative of my life. Wow! So, I sense we're going to hear a little bit more about uh, ABT a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So, but before we get into that, why? um, Just just explain briefly why you uh, why you've why you've stuck to um, helping scientists. That sounds like a really tough challenge. You ever heard of Sisyphus? That's easy for you to say. No, I haven't. What's that?
1: Sisyphus is the guy from mythology who's stuck, um, you know, for the rest of his life, pushing this boulder up the side of the mountain, only to have it keep rolling back over him and rolling back down and just over and over again, the guy's forced to do that. Uh, There's an element of that with the science world. Uh, But I I do have to say, offer up an advance warning here for this discussion, is that I am basically... Uh, I come off like an infomercial salesman when it comes to this ABT thing. So everybody before Warren, <laughs> I'm very enthusiastic about it. And it's it's based on four years of getting deeper and deeper involved at this point where I just don't even care if I offend people by being overly enthusiastic. So there we go.
0: <laughs> okay, so um, I can't hold back the tide. Let's let's get straight into the uh, ABT. And, and your, um, your latest book, Houston, We Have a Narrative, takes us right the way through that. Uh, so so what is it? What is ABT? It's First off, um, as my
1: buddy Park Howell, who's a professor in business at, at Arizona State University and referred you to me, yeah. he's the one who came up with this little label for it, which is that the ABT is the DNA of story. And this is what he and I are both willing to argue now at this point. I came across it four years ago right now. In the beginning, I was skeptical. Is this thing really as simple and robust and powerful as I think it is? It's four years later now. I've been researching it and kind of presenting and promoting it and putting it to use endlessly since then. And so now, after four years of it, I'm I'm brave enough now to say, yeah, I'm willing to gamble all my credibility behind it. It's incredibly powerful. Why it has not been a standard building block of education for everyone on the planet um, in previous generations Who knows? I know that in February this year, I gave a big talk at Princeton University, and the first person to raise their hand afterwards was a woman who said, while you were giving your presentation, I worked out the ABTs for the chapters of my dissertation, and I just wish somebody would have taught this to me three years ago. (laughs) So that's how powerful it is. And so what, what we refer to here with this ABT term is the idea of a single sentence structured with these three connector words, and, but, and therefore. And it ends up being, uh, you've heard probably in the business world, countless people talk about the elevator pitch, but none of them have ever come up with this clear, simple narrative template for the elevator pitch, which, which is what this is. And it is, it's the answer. This is what you need in order to present what it is that you do in a single sentence that will pull people in and will always be clear, never boring, always advancing the narrative and it's just it's got infinite complexity and yet it's extremely simple to start with and button therefore so for example the ways in which it can be used uh, it's universal so it's not just telling the narrative of what your company does it's not just telling the narrative of your professional life as i used it Um, it's also the narrative of a movie so i could tell you the story of a little girl Who lives on a farm in Kansas and her life is boring but then one day a tornado takes her to the land of Oz therefore she must undertake a journey to find her way back home. That is the end but therefore summary sentence for the movie The Wizard of Oz and every good movie that appeals to the masses has got that simple template at its core it's just a matter of working it out but once you do the logic to it is is super clear and simple and it goes back four thousand years goes back to gilgamesh goes back to aristotle and the greeks it is fundamental broad and universal to human nature and all great stories that have persisted over the ages have had that dynamic to it of and but therefore so now is it okay if i break this down into the three words Please do. Please tell us. Okie dokie. <laughs> Please break the suspense and get to the three <laughs> words already. Damn it. Um, so these three words are connector words, and this is stuff that I've just stumbled across, you know, on the internet and, and kind of researching this thing. Um, the way that I I first heard it was four years ago. Right now, there is in this country this extremely popular, extremely smart animated series called South Park that was created in the mid-90s by two guys, um, Matt Stone and Trey Parker. And so, 2011, Comedy Central, the channel that produces it, did a documentary about the making of South Park. And in the middle of that, Trey Parker explained what he calls the simple rule of editing that he calls the rule of replacing. And he said, this is what we do each week. When I get the first draft of that week's episode, it's 40 pages long, then I go back into the script... And use this rule of replacing, where what we try to do is replace the word and. Every time we come across the word and, see if you can replace it with either but or therefore. Every time you replace an and with either a but or therefore, the storytelling gets more interesting and more complex. When I heard that, I had been through at least five major writing courses, screenwriting courses, um, in my education at University of Southern California and elsewhere, I had never heard it put so simply. Mm -hmm. I began calling friends of mine, major screenwriters in Hollywood, saying, have you ever heard this rule of ands, buts, and therefores? They all said, we've never heard it put that simply, but it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Those are the dynamics that are at the core of story structure, of the hero's journey as described by Joseph Campbell. So it's not surprising that somebody would have distilled it all the way down there. Number one. Number two, It's not surprising that these guys, who are brilliant storytellers, who've made the show incredibly successful for 20 years, week after week, they have basically been in the gym lifting storytelling weights week after week, and they are these buff animals now who in an instant can spot a good story and can tell you a good story. And I say this with triple conviction after just two weeks ago attending their play, The Book of Mormon, on Broadway for the first time, I should have seen it years ago, and that play is unbelievable. That is just a perfect exercise in the ABT in storytelling. And it won seven Tony Awards and is still enormously popular and it's, and it's put on traveling shows all around the country. Um, people rave about it, but in watching it made me realize the number one reason that it got those awards and people rave about it is not the humor. It's, it's it's pretty funny. It's not the outlandishness. It's not the political content, the common social commentary. All that stuff it's pretty strong in but it 's the story structure that is just crystal clear and so tightly structured, and you get to the last ten minutes of the play, and all these different pieces that were set in early on that you weren 't quite sure where they were going with it, they all start coming together and paying off one after another and boom boom boom, and you could feel the audience getting closer and closer to standing ovation till the final musical number, which synthesizes what the entire thing's about and you know makes a statement at such a deep level that by the end of that song, the whole audience jumped to their feet. Um, I don't think just to pay respects. I think it almost like physiologically they had to do something to express <laughs> wow. how you know deeply engaged they were with the the storytelling, and so that's at the core of it. All these guys really they get it better than almost anybody in the United States.
0: So, but the ABT for people listening, is this just the th- the basic three act structure boiled down to three letters? So we've just we've taken the principle of um, a three act structure of, of storytelling and we've distilled it to its most simple basic ingredients is that is that what we're talking about
1: um in essence but i would say even more simply which is that these are the three dynamics that are that story draws on so you look at these three connector words and the first one and is a word of agreement okay so there's no tension to that there's no conflict which is what you need for a story yeah so and is a word of exposition it's what you use at the beginning to start a story and this tells us that you're, you haven't started a story when, you're, when, you, when a movie opens up and we go to a small town and we see a house and we see a family living there and we see the father and we see the mother mm-hmm. none of that is story yet that's yeah. all exposition and it all can be connected with ands you know, and here's the house, and here's right. the father, and here's the mother so the brain is not yet engaged in the narrative centers at this point we're just on idle and just, in Joseph Campbell's language he would say this is the ordinary world this is non-narrative. This is the non-narrative world. <laughs> now, eventually, what needs to happen is something that will cause us to make the jump from the non-narrative world into the narrative world, and that's called the inciting incident in most stories, and namely in a murder mystery, finally somebody's going to walk out in the backyard, and, and but then they're going to see the father laying dead in the backyard, and suddenly we have a story now. We've now established a source of tension or conflict. We've established a question, and so this second word, but, is a word of contradiction and that engages the narrative centers in the brain
0: so that's where the conflict is coming that's the from. conflict that's it that's the conflict and tension so when you read um, save the cat or a story by Rob McKee they all talk about conflict and tension that's so it. when you talk about uh, scientists um, giving thesis and that kind of... You're basically saying they never get past and. That's but that's what you see too too often, exactly, is that... They're in the non-narrative world just going and, 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 and. And that's saying, it. okay, introduce conflict yeah. and tension. Yes. Now we've got a story, right? And the thing that, that so many scientists don't understand
1: is that conflict and tension doesn't have to come from a dead body. It doesn't have to be massively <laughs> dramatic. That's what scares them. You know, yeah, what yeah, are yeah. you trying to tell me? I need to have a dead body in my research. no. Tension and conflict comes from a a really interesting question. Mm -hmm. You know, if I ask you an interesting question about your background, all of a sudden everybody in the room is suddenly feeling tension. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, dude, what's the answer to that? That's it. That's at the core. This is the parallel between the humanities and the sciences, and that's what a lot of what my book is about, is trying to show that these two worlds are not that far apart. And 50 years ago, um, well, 55 years ago, um, in your fine country, a fellow named C.P. Snow really kind of set people off, I think, in an unfortunate pathway. He wrote a book called *The Two Cultures*, and he was this sort of bilingual guy. He was an acclaimed novelist, but he was also a physicist. Mm-hmm. And so he realized he had these two sets of colleagues, and he would go to one pub and hang out with the scientists, and they spoke one language. He'd go to another pub and hang out with all the novelists, they spoke a different language, and they seemed to be oil and water. And he just felt like these are two completely versions of human, different versions of humans. Um, what I say is what Joseph Campbell said at the beginning of his book, which is it's more interesting to look at the similarities than the differences. Mm. And when we start looking at this, you realize that both of these worlds are engaged in one simple process, which is problem-solution. It all comes down to problem-solution. So every good story has got a problem at the core of it, who done it, and then it eventually gets our way to a solution. Every good scientific study has got the scientific method, which is about posing the question, posing the problem, and finding the answer or the solution to it. So the more you can look at these two things as being the same basic journey, the more you can see how much they've got in common with each other, and I think, you know, start to improve these things. But that said, going back to what you're talking about there, there is this non-narrative world that it begins in. And Mm -hmm. Joseph Campbell talked about a, a journey being like a circle that goes off, and it starts in this ordinary world where nothing's happening, and then something happens, Dorothy gets transported to Oz, and now we're in the special world where things are exciting and invigorating, but they're never relaxing because you always want to get the answer to that. You always want to solve the problem. Yeah. And once you do that, will take you back to the ordinary world. Yeah. That's the circular journey. And so I say, again, it's you know, in stories and in scientific projects, it's all the same thing. The only problem is that in the science world, they get so caught up in the information that they lose this feeling of a need to have a, a narrative. And, in fact, there's a great little essay that I... I you know, one of the fun things for me is I go and speak at universities, and people come up afterwards, and they tell me, these, they're like my own research team. They come and give me resources. Have you read this thing? Have you done know this thing? And so one of them, this guy, told me about this essay published in Science Magazine in 1963 titled Chaos in the Brickyard. And what that was about was this and, and, and problem, basically. It was a, it was a little... Kind of fable that was uh, told that was simple and fun. And it was about once upon a time there was a big brickyard with all these people out there building, making these bricks for these brick buildings. And they got so proud of their work on the bricks that they began to make these specialized bricks and they'd make them perfect and they hone them exactly right. And they began to lose interest in the buildings. And after a while, the bricks were getting so piled up, you couldn't even tell the difference between the piles of bricks and the buildings that they were being made for. And eventually, you know, people came along and said, What are you guys doing? And they could no longer remember what buildings were. They just knew we're making the best bricks in the world. You know, they've just <laughs> lost track, and they're in the and, and, and world. You know, they've lost the narrative. They yeah. no longer realize we're making these bricks to make these buildings. We're just doing this thing for its own sake.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, obviously you're talking about scientists, but but I'm starting to think about. Um, my customers and the business world, and lots of businesses, I think they get caught up making bricks. There you go. Yeah, you, there know, you go. You neglect to think about um, what the hell does your brick do? Yeah, the solution. <laughs> and you know, I guess part of telling a story is, um, and I've, I've talked about this on previous shows, and, and lots of people have, have said this. It's important to make sure that your customer is the hero, right? Yes. Um, so with the with ABT. It's, it's virtually impossible to go through and but therefore without acknowledging the customer's problem and then offering up the solution so, so it, it comes together, yeah. right, you know? So is this why we've all cited PowerPoint presentations and just thought, oh my god, I don't care that your company was founded in 1937 and da 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 da, and you think, where is the relevance to me, the, the audience? Is that, that's basically the principle, right?
1: That's it, and that's the narrative, you know, mm-hmm. where, where's the narrative that involves mm-hmm. me and all that kind of stuff exactly.
0: So you started to take this into, um, into businesses and lots of organizations. What's what some of your experiences in sort of workshop uh, environment been when you're introducing this very simple thing of and bought, therefore? It's it... Complexity
1: sells, that's part of the challenge you know and i think there's a lot of people teaching workshops right now that they make storytelling so complex and it dazzles people and you hear from people they they sit in a 10-hour workshop and all day long they're just being given this and this and this and they walk out at the end of the day and they oh my god my brain's overflowing with information and so many amazing things i learned today and you talk to them a week later and they can't remember anything <laughs> um, and that's the whole concern is you know that's kind of the backwards way to do it Uh, I'm taking the opposite approach with what I do, which is, you know, dude, look, it's as simple as three letters, A, B, T. And what you need to do is out of simplicity can arise complexity. And I've told you about this book from um, John York called Into the Woods, how stories work and why we tell them. And it's a nice book where he looks at screenwriting and shows these similarities in in the different ways people are teaching this stuff. It's all the same basic thing. And at the core, he talks about um, the fractal nature of stories. And I really like that a lot because that's the truth is that stories can get incredibly complex, but at their core they 're still super simple and it's about this and but therefore dynamic and you can go anywhere with that um, but it, what ends up people get really dazzled by complexity and they love to hear about the Hollywood stuff and I just sit there and listen to some of these folks and like it's just not that complicated. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is is develop the instinct so that you You always know that you're, and the other thing I like to say is that ABT can also stand for always be telling stories. Mm -hmm. And that's your goal is to always be involved in some sort of narrative because when you get boring is when you've lost the narrative and you're in that and, and, and thing. And so that's not ABT land or the other place that things go awry is the other end of the spectrum where you've got too much narrative going on. And this happens a lot with academics. Where, and if you think about these three words, again, and is the word of agreement, gets the story going, it's boring. But is the word that starts the, it's a word of contradiction, starts the story. And there's other words that can be used the same thing, however, and, and things like that. Um, and the third word, therefore, um, is a word of consequence, and that advances the narrative. So as soon as you've gotten us to the but, you know, but these guys got arrested. Then you pretty quickly want to move the story forward. Like therefore, why are you telling us this? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fun in the workshops. People will start to lock onto this word "therefore," and they'll begin to realize it's a word of consequence. And you'll get somebody going on and on about something boring, and somebody will finally say, "Therefore, why are you telling us all this crap?" <laughs> um, so it's a powerful. All three of these are powerful words, and the and and but are super powerful because they're so. But abund- there, I think I saw the other day a list of the the most common words used in and is number three in all conversation, dialogue, whatever. So you're saying and all day long and I think but was around number 12. So these are words that are all day long being used and and but and yet it turns out they've got super powerful narrative dynamics and not only that, um... Oh, let's, let's just keep moving on. There was something more I'll tell you, but that's coming
0: soon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's suspense. That's what's known as a cliffhanger. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Randy, um, I think, you know, I think hopefully the audience is locked on to this very simple technique, which is really powerful. Uh, from your research, you can delve back, you know, nearly thousands of years and and you can evidence the use of this uh, Oh wait,
1: wait let, me, let me let me cut you off right there. Here's just 2 weeks ago a friend brought <laughs> me this. Have you ever heard of a poem called To His Coy Mistress? I have not. By Andrew I've forgotten his name, from the 1650s. Yeah? From, I think it's British. And it's a famous poem. I'd heard the title. I never knew about it. For all of you listening right now, Google To His Coy Mistress and read it. It's super short. <laughs> and it turns out the whole poem, all it's about, it's an ABT. That's all it is. It's really? an ABT. It even has the words "button" there therefore. And basically what the poem is about, it's this guy talking to his mistress. And he basically says, you are so beautiful. And if I had 30,000 years, I could outweigh, outweigh your coyness. <laughs> um, but... But life is short, therefore, let's get on with things. Um, and I swear to you, that's the whole poem. And it does, and it has the word but, you know, but this, that, and the other thing. And therefore, let's do it. Um, so how age old is that? And there you can see, you know, how universal the ABT dynamic is. And then the other example that's in my book I talk about is the Gettysburg Address, the most famous speech probably in all American history. And why is it so popular and enduring? It's only three paragraphs. It's an ABT, that's all it is. The first paragraph says four score and seven years ago, we blah, 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 blah. The second paragraph basically says, but now we're engaged in a civil war. The third paragraph eventually gets around to, and it doesn't have the word button therefore, but you can feel it right there in the third one, basically says, therefore it's up to us, the living still here to try and save this nation. Um, that speech has endured not because of the beautiful prose that's certainly a, a nice style element to go with it and all sorts of things like that it's endured because it has perfect narrative structure that's what make things, makes things last over the ages like the great
0: myths so yeah I mean there's loads of examples going back hundreds you know, if not thousands of years um, ancient mythology why, why now uh, as a human race Do we seem to be getting worse yeah, gr- Telling stories Well
1: good good question So one of the first things that, That's definitely happened In the past dec- decade Is this word narrative mm. um, At the beginning of my book I have a Google Ngram You know that new function Where you can go search All published books And you can put in a keyword And you can see That the word narrative Emerged in the information explosion In the 1980s Nobody talked about narratives in common parlance back in the sixties and seventies. None of the news um, pundits talked about, you know, the the space race narrative or the Vietnam War narrative. You never saw the word used back then. I know. I grew up in that era, and all of a sudden, about ten to fifteen years ago, you started to hear people talking. Well, that's, you know, we're not buying into this narrative and that narrative. We've got split narratives. We've got multiple narratives. Um, so you can see it in the Google Ngram. Suddenly, everybody's talking about narratives today. And that's because narratives are these higher levels of organization of information. So it's not just the events. It's the overarching pattern of all the events that take place in the search for a solution to a problem. So narratives in general are being talked about more and more now. And that's what's bringing people around to talking about narrative and storytelling. We're beginning to realize we need these higher levels of organization in this world that is awash in too much information. Mm-hmm. But at the same time... Um, I think that we're on a a trajectory where we have shifted more towards science and away from uh, the humanities. And this is a dilemma. This is what my book is arguing against. This is why a lot of scientists are not going to like my book. There's going to be a big backlash against it. The sciences are suspicious of story in the humanity. They're suspicious of the humanities. You know, scientists worship robots. They worship things that are totally objective, that have no natural variation of them. They're driven crazy by the human element that comes into play in science. And yet the humanities are fascinated by the human element. So there's the age old conflict between the two. And so if the sciences kind of had their way in their dream world, they think at least they would create this inductivist, objectivist, completely robotic world where we never get fouled up by humanity. Um, That's what they they dream of, they think. But in fact, science from the very beginning is a human process. and, And in fact, scientists over a century ago came to this agreement that they would communicate their science using a narrative template. And so every major scientific journal pretty much forces their writers to comply with this template That four sections introduction methods results discussion when you step back and look at that that's the same as three act structure Mm. so introduction is your first act where it's all exposition you're laying it out and you're building to the inciting incident which Mm -hmm. is you know now we need to study this the second act is methods and results that's your journey you know you're telling about this is what we studied and here's what we found out and the third act is discussion and that's your synthesis and so underpinning all of this by the way goes back to the 1700s to hegel And Kant, who first identified the triad of thesis, antithesis, synthesis, that's what underpins everything, which is, it's about, and in my book, I've broken into these three same three sections. That is ABT, right? That's ABT, there you go. Dude, it's all (laughs) the same story. It's all just (laughs) keeps cycling around. Wait, hey, that's the same thing I heard there. The more you get this, and and the term we've actually developed is ABT framework, Mm -hmm. and in fact, that's the Twitter hashtag we're using now is hashtag ABT framework for our discussions on this stuff. Uh, because the more you start to absorb the ABT, the more you start seeing it everywhere and you realize that's the framework and then
0: you get sensitized to it. But you think, like, you know, again, I see it in the, in the business world and, and marketing that um, this stuff takes effort to think to think about your audience, to really understand the yes. meaning. Yes, underpinning. It's almost like uh, we were talking before we started recording. It's almost like I don't need general knowledge anymore because Google will tell me any answer I want to know. Uh, in, in seconds um, and there's so much social media and there's technology that allows me to get a message out to hundreds, thousands, millions of people mm-hmm. so I don't need to put the effort in to structure it to, um, right, to right. reach an audience organically mm-hmm. yeah. Right? Is, is it part of it that we're um, as a human race we're just, we're just lazy, uh, but, but now we're finding, hang, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, we do need to go back to basics, we do need to learn some of the foundational uh, techniques that allow us to communicate and, and engage and really resonate because there's more content produced every 48 hours uh, and published online than was produced since the dawn of time up to 2011, which is just, I mean, 48 hours. Right, right. I mean, this yeah. is just unbelievable, it's, isn't it? It's absurd. But, you know, yeah. 99.999% of it is absolute crap and it doesn't actually reach an audience. Yeah. So we're, we're getting to a point where it's like, hang on, we have to go back to basics. It's not about Twitter, Facebook, Google, this, that, and the other. It's, it's about the content. Well, here, here, kind of right.
1: here's one simple. Um, st- uh, Scientific study to some extent to to match in with that on a small scale, which I mentioned this in the book. Um, there was a guy at Johns Hopkins Medical School who a couple years ago took the uh, commercials from the Super Bowl, which is you know that's the ultimate forum in the United States mm-hmm. for advertising world is yeah. the Super Bowl, and he looked at it for I think two or three years, and just scored them for all these different criteria and turned out that narrative structure was the number one variable explaining the most success of these commercials so despite the fact that everybody says oh it's the ones with the animals or it's the ones with the half naked women that are most popular those are elements of style that, yeah, will get you a little bit of popularity. But over the long term, the pattern that emerges is it, over and over again. It's story. Story will. It's so deeply programmed into us. It goes back at least four thousand years to Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. And every so often, you'll get people that will say, "Story is dead. You know, no longer do this." And it's just not true. It's it's so primal and it's so universal. And that's what Joseph Campbell documented was the, you know, his book "Hero of a Thousand Faces" showed that around the world, everybody's telling the same basic structured types of narratives. So. That's where the ABT thing is so incredibly universal, and it's sort of up to everybody to conduct their own ABT journey um, of beginning to look for it out in the real world. Begin listening to people, and the funny thing in our workshops, you know, you begin to get sensitized, and you hear somebody saying, "But, but," and you begin, "Oh, then, then, therefore," uh, so they're so
0: structure structural in terms of advancing what you know. Brilliant. Well, I'd really, really implore everybody to give this uh, ABT. Uh, structure, ago it's it's just so simple. It's hard to believe that it's so effective and, and and powerful, right? You know, and and you really can't build
1: up much belief in it until you begin to have those moments yourself. And this is what's so great is people come back to me like, you know, look at this, look right that. now, like, like that, Oops, excuse me, like that guy bringing me that poem to his coy mistress, and to Park Howell bringing me the Gettysburg Address, and people saying, look where I found it, here it is, over and over again. It is ubiquitous. Um, and then the other one that Park came up with is even in utterances, we, we can talk about, uh uh-huh, huh, uh huh, uh that's an utterance of agreement. Or we can talk about, uh oh, that's an utterance of contradiction. And then we can have, aha, uh-huh, that's an utterance of consequence. Uh-huh, therefore, uh, it's the same thing. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. It's so <laughs> primal and universal. And it breaks things down to very. Base level, and the the other thing earlier on, I was going to say, and there's an article that I've got coming out soon, I hope. That's why I didn't want to talk about it much. But basically, I have taken the ABT and turned it into a metric and applied it to the presidential candidates right now running for uh, president of the United States, and the pattern is crystal clear. One guy, turns out, is pumping out the butts, basically. Mm -hmm. Who do you think that might be? I don't know. You tell us, <laughs> um, Surely You've been hearing about Donald Trump. Yep, yeah, I have. Yeah, Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that guy, his his rhetoric is packed full of contradiction and, and conflict. Yeah. And the boring ones, Jeb Bush and, and Scott Walker and those guys, they're way down there. They never say but. They nothing is structured with with the ABT. There's none of that there. Uh, Trump. There's one press conference he gave. Where almost every question he was answering with an "ABT" very simple. You know, um, we love our friends to the south in Mexico, uh, but we got this immigration problem. Therefore, we're going to build a wall. You know, that's (laughs) it. It's that simple. And the thing is that he's cheating the system by drawing on the power of simplicity because you know the singular narrative is really powerful, and so he's going up and offering up
0: these things as though they're that simple. It's it's Um, actually it's interesting because uh, this can be a really effective way of telling your story, but you've just given us an example of, uh, it's a way of gaming the system as well, isn't it? It can be manipulated, uh, it's not necessarily better using believe it. it for good. Yeah, you better believe it well, see, um, so that's what I get into with the science world,
1: and so the science world has developed what I call story phobia. and they literally have it, and so in the book I talk about, two years ago a guy in Nature had an editorial titled Against Storytelling in Scientific Results and he was trying to, he was, basically, I mean, he was almost like you know, Witch hunt, you know, he said, this storytelling stuff, it's evil and it's going to ruin your science. And the crazy thing about his editorial is that the first three paragraphs are and but therefore. Um, so, <laughs> so he used the narrative template to argue that there's evils in storytelling. And my answer back to the guy is there's nothing evil about narrative storytelling. Um, it can be used, exactly as you say, to game the system. You can use it dishonestly. You can tell big, embellished, crazy stories that are dishonest. But it's present in everything that you do in the science world there. And the one thing I would encourage your listeners, you know, I've, I've been stuck with the uh, real world dimension of needing to publish this third third book in the science world because that's where I come from. But really, everything that's in this book, uh, Houston, we have a narrative, is applicable to all professions and all
0: walks of life. Absolutely. Well, I, I would implore people to, to to give this a read. Um, I'm absolutely fascinated. I've got my copy. I haven't read it yet, but um, the. <laughs> The basic but, principles. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm going to read it. it. Therefore, <laughs> therefore, I will be a better storyteller. for it. That's right. Absolutely. Tune in next time. To <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> handing at the ABTs, right? And left. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Randy, in closing, I always give the last word to yeah. uh, to, to the guest. What would you like to um, to leave us with? Well, you had asked about, you know, is this the fate of humanity
1: that we're we're becoming worse at storytelling? Mm-hmm. Are we gonna? It's a concern, I think. Um, the science world does not embrace this stuff. This is a battle I'm headed into with them and need to. Um, here in the United States, since World War II, we have created these scientific research institutes that have produced these one-dimensional scientists who no longer have to communicate. They're given money to do their research, their drones, their worker bees, and they are largely non-narrative. Um, I think that's a concern. And the, and guess what's happening here in the U.S. and a fair amount in your country as well. There's an anti-science movement that, that's developed. And guess what those people are really good with? The ABT, basically. They know how to tell stories. I've made these two documentary feature films, one about the attacks on evolution, the other on attacks on climate. And in both cases, the people doing the attacking are a bunch of knuckleheads for the most part. Um, they, a lot of them aren't that educated, but they tell great stories. They're funny. They're fun. You'd like to spend more time with them than these robotic scientists. Uh, they know the power of narrative, and they're gaming the system, exactly as you say. So that's a serious warning signal for the future, which is the science world cannot afford to dehumanize itself.
0: Well, I would apply that to, to business as well, right? Yeah, That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all about
1: human nature. And, and, of course, business you know has a better feel for that. But they're always dealing with all this in, in, idiocy and, and irrationality of humans. That's the whole challenge is you've got a product. Can you actually tap into the irrationality of people and their buying habits and things like that? And to some extent, you can study them. But still, at the end of the day, it's not just metrics. you got to have some understanding of how humans work.
0: Wow! Well, on that bombshell, <laughs> Randy, I can't thank you enough uh, for giving me your time and also being a host in your um, your beautiful Malibu uh, beach house, which has one of the best views I've ever seen. It's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure.
1: So thanks once again. You betcha! It's been a long journey for me, um, but I needed to have some quiet refuge away from the crazy world therefore I moved out here 10 years ago and here I sit out on a cliff contemplating the power of the ABT (laughs)
0: fantastic (laughs) guys I would leave you there Uh, I implore you to go and contemplate the powers of ABT yourself go and check out Houston, we have a narrative and I will see you next time. So that's it for another week. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, please feel free to subscribe or even check out our Getting Goosebumps marketing book available in Amazon. If you have any specific questions, you can also tweet us using the hashtag AskPH. and I'd be delighted to answer your questions. Until next week, goodbye.